You're listening to The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a weekly poker podcast for students of the game by students of the game. Join Dell and guests as they discuss poker theory and bridging the gap between theory and application. We're all in this together. This week's topic, meet the new hosts, Christine and Jordan. All right. Hello. Um, it's the start of a new era. There's no BJ this week. I'm a little lost, to be honest with you, right from the beginning. We're going to introduce two new hosts this week here for The Blind Stealing the Blinds. I think I'm just going to get right to it. I want to introduce Christine and Jordan. Christine Park is a professional poker player out of Calgary. She has been playing professionally for five years, left a job that she'd been at for 20 years, which I'm going to be interested in what that job was, to be a full-time poker player. She is a member of the Women's Pokers Association, and she's also an advocate for them for Quebec. Jordan Sweet is, uh, well, I know him as a coach from School of Cards. He's been playing professionally uh, since 2017. He's got some military background, and we're going to talk about that too. You guys have met Jordan. He's been on the show quite a bit. Uh, Christine's going to be new to the show. And I'm excited to be working with both of them. I think there's going to be a lot of exciting positive changes. I still don't think this can be better without BJ, but BJ's still going to be the voice of the show in the sense that he's going to do our intros and our outros. So you'll still get to hear his voice, and I'm happy about that. So anyways, I want to get to Christine. How are you doing, Christine? I'm good. How are you, Dal? <laughs> I'm doing all right. Good. So I like in the bio that you sent me, I like how you started to play poker. What got you into it? Do you want to talk about that? Uh, essentially, I was at the time playing co-ed baseball back in 2007. I went to a party that the coach was hosting. And when I arrived at the party, there was a bunch of guys around the table playing poker. And I asked, well, what are you playing? And I was kind of interested in what they were doing. And they basically shooed me away saying that girls weren't allowed to play and that I was to go sit down on the couch and have a beer and wait till the, the poker was done. That time I was a little irritated about that. So I waited for some of the guys that were busting out of the, the little sit and go tournament. And they started up a cash game in the basement and they let me play that night. I ended up winning and got hooked from there. Yeah, well, see, that was why they wanted you to go sit down and have a beer. They were afraid you would win. <laughs> right. <laughs> so tell me about that journey from that night to the point where you quit a job that you've been at for 20 years to play poker professionally. I played with them, with my with football friends for a couple years on the weekends here and there. Then I started to play a little bit in the casinos. Started out at the Flamingo, one girl's trip in Vegas and had a great experience there. Ended up just falling in love with the game, actually. And after a couple of years, my baseball friends just didn't want to play with me anymore. I became obsessed with the rules and the way the game should be played. And <laughs> so eventually I just started going to the casino whenever I could. I was a single mom at the time. So trips to this casino were kind of few and far between. I realized after a while that I really wasn't very good. I loved the game, but was playing way above 
the skill level. I was playing two five at the time, which I there is no way I should have been playing two five. I mean, I was it was terrible. I'd have some winning sessions, I'd have some losing sessions, and I got to the point where I realized I really needed to start to study to get better. I was kind of at the point where I had to put some effort in and get better, or just kind of play recreational and be happy with that. Twenty years—that's a lot of time at a job that that's a lot of security it seems to me so what i'm really asking is what got to the point where you could say this nice stable secure job i'm going to let <laughs> right. go of that and i'm going to play a game of variance <laughs> you know, right for a living yes yes it's a little crazy so <laughs> i kind of always once i started to study and get better at the game and play more consistently I knew I wanted to play full time, but as I said, it, I had a son to support. My career ultimately gave me the cushion to do so comfortably for my son and I. It's a, it was a bit of a turning point. My son was 17 at the time when I decided to leave my job. So he was still in the house, but there was a turning point in my career where the owner of the business that I was uh, working with was retiring. And it was my choice at the time to either buy the company out from him or leave. And I decided to take the leap and to leave. I mean, the, the job that I had was, like you said, very comfortable. I was financially stable. But it was not my passion and it was not my dream to be there. And I just could not see myself spending another 20 or 30 years running a company that really wasn't my passion. I mentioned School of Cards in relationship to Jordan, but I, that's also where I know you from. Yes. That's part of what you talk about here is that you joined Turbo Kings and you joined School of Cards for training. How important was that? for your growth as a poker player? Well, I first joined School of Cards back in about 2017 to do the cash game fix and uh, the beyond tells. But back in uh, 2018, I joined the pro group with School of Cards and that was really a big turning point. I had already been playing full time for a year with a lot of struggles, mostly emotional struggles with relationship that I was in and transitioning to full time was very difficult. So when I entered the pro group back in 2018, that was really I was on my own at that point. Um, the relationship had ended. I was really ready to buckle down and get my pro lifestyle back on track. The school of cards pro group was a huge turning point for me. It changed the way I looked at things. I really needed the support of my peers and my coaches, and I ultimately got that. One of the things that stands out to me right now, I, I work in Seabrook, New Hampshire. I live in Vermont, and I got tired of spending like a third of my paycheck to basically stay in rooms and hotels, sometimes half my paycheck. So I built a box on the back of my truck. And I stay in that box when I'm go when I go to work. So for four nights out of the week, I live in the back of my truck. And what I think is interesting here is that you would drive two hours to Montreal to play at the playground, and you say here that you lived in your minivan Monday through Friday. 
<laughs> yes, I did. It basically in the playground parking lot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, you know, I mean, some people would think that's crazy, but I think that's brilliant because that shows like a love and dedication to playing poker and doing what you needed to to make it work. How do you feel about that time? I loved it. I it was I had as I said, I had an apartment for my son back in the Ottawa area. He needed a stable place to live. And I was not prepared to pay for two rents at the time while I was still easing my way into the pro-life. So I lived in my van. I would I had a gym membership where I would go work out and shower. And I would sleep in my van in the playground parking lot, unbeknownst to them. I loved it, except for when it hit about minus 28 centigrade. That's kind of when I tapped out. Those nights I would just stay and play overnight in the, in the casino because it was too cold. Yeah, might as well play a long session, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so tell me about your association with the Women's Poker Association. It was several years ago. Lupe had reached out to me um, to become a, an advocate for the WPA. I've been an advocate for them for two years now. And at the time, I was in the Quebec area playing at a playground. So I am advocate for the Quebec area. And I, I try to support uh, women in poker as best I can, try and get as many women to, to come and join us. I'm sure... You've listened to the show some, and I think you know that that's uh, one of our goals with the show is to advocate towards uh, more women playing, more minorities playing. So I'm excited to have you be a part of the podcast for that reason and many other reasons. But So I'm happy to have you here. I'm glad you're here. Is there anything else you want to share? As far as myself, I would like people to know that I am essentially a, a cash game grinder. I play one, two, and two, five. Now that I've moved to Calgary, the 2-5 game is almost non-existent here. I am back to playing 1-2. For the listeners, what do you feel you bring to the podcast? I think my uh, biggest insight in for the podcast listeners is basically the ins and outs and the ups and downs of low-stakes cash game grind as a full-time player. I've really gone through the the ringer. With COVID, losing my job essentially um, over the last couple of years, it's been extremely difficult. I have relocated three times to follow my passion for poker. It wasn't easy. And now, thankfully, because COVID's over, I'm kind of back on the upswing and going to get back into to playing a lot more. But it's not an easy career. I know many... Many times when I was dreaming of becoming a full-time player, you know, you hear the pros say, oh, it's not easy and this and that. And you think, oh, it, it, it can be so easy. You know, I go and I win $1,000 a night and it's it's all good. And it's not true. It's, uh, <laughs> it is really a grind. And I am a huge reflection of that. Being able to uh, bring some insight as a woman, um, an, a middle-aged woman. Playing this game, I think, is is good for the listeners as well. I know there's a lot of young ladies that are currently doing vlogs and those types of things, and it's amazing, but we don't hear that often from a middle-aged woman that has started poker on the later side, and I think that's a good thing. 
I do too. I'm I'm very happy that you're here. I'm very excited that you're here. The truth is going forward, the plan is that Jordan is probably gonna be on most of the shows, but I am specifically excited and looking forward to the shows I get to do with you. It's gonna bring a needed dynamic. I'm glad that there's a female voice on the show. I've wanted one for a while. Yeah, I'm just really happy. Thank you for being here. So we're going to move on to Jordan right now. Jordan, I, I'm glad you're here, and thank you for joining the show. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. I know I remember speaking with both you and BJ, and I was very happy to be on the show on a more uh, regular basis. I was very happy for the opportunity to uh, be on the podcast and talk about poker on a, a more regular basis. So you, you learn poker as a young man not even a young man, as a child playing with your grandfather. Is that correct? Yeah. So every summer as a kid, me and my brother used to go down to visit our grandparents in Florida and we'd play all sorts of games with my grandfather, Chinese checkers, go fish. If you know how to play hearts, it's like the, the four player game on the computer. He modified the deck by taking out all the sixes and below. And then he changed the point values for each so we could play hearts uh, three handed. So I have some very fond memories of playing a lot of different card games with him and my brother. And I remember just having fun seeing what card is going to come next when we would play seven card stud, low spade wild or something like that. One of the things that you had said was that you enjoyed about the card games was when you learned you could intentionally win, that it changed the way you looked at it. Yes. So as a kid you're playing go fish or something you just get dealt some hands and then you play it out and then it's fun to see like hey who won fun story that i think you might enjoy because of our conversation on ethics we were with the family <laughs> at uh, some place that required us to wait a lot so our grandpa brought in the deck of cards and we were going to play a game of go fish <laughs> i actually went through the deck and stacked it so that i could win so that when the hand gets dealt out I would have a whole bunch of pairs, right? But the nature of Go Fish, you have four fours and four eights and four nines or whatever, then you're just giving a lot of pairs to other people. So I I made a big deal of like, hey, I had the deck all, I shuffled while you guys were out. So then I like dealt it out and then I'm waiting like three seconds to to be like amazed at my hand and my brother's immediately like, oh, I win and put down three threes and two fives and whatever. And I was like, wait, I was supposed to. So, so I eventually learned that when you're, when you're playing hearts, you can make decisions. And when you're playing poker, you can make decisions whether you want to continue in the hand or not, and you'll end up with, with more chips at the end. And the, the competitive nature became very attractive to me. Like I, I realized, hey, this is actually fun. You know, people enjoy having fun doing something that, they're good at so it became more about hey this is uh, something that's intellectually stimulating now and not just a little entertaining that that is an interesting story um you got to learn how to stack the deck better i guess <laughs> another thing you brought up was that you weren't really motivated by the moneymaker boom you were more motivated by rounders do you think there's a difference between player types those that are motivated by the moneymaker boom and those that are motivated by, say, Rounders or any other poker movie they might have seen, like the Cincinnati Kid. Actually, uh, yeah, very much so. And Cincinnati Kid 
is a great example because you have like the Amarillo Slim type players who've been doing it forever. I specifically, so coming from uh, New York area, the Mizrakis, I think, are such a great example because you look at Moneymaker and you look at the boom and the players that followed. It was a bunch of, I want to say, recreational players who realized, hey, I can I can win. There's a bunch of the hometown hero type weekend warriors who realized I can go make a bunch of money at this game if I put a lot of effort in for a, for the right tournament. But you had these players like the Mizrakis who have been doing it forever. And then, or Barry Greenstein, who has the story himself that he won more money playing cash games in LA than Moneymaker actually won in the actual World Series. So myself, growing up in New York, there was a lot of home games with the high school buddies and poker was already a common thing for Long Islanders. Like we would get together on a, a weekend night or play a, a game, but we wouldn't just play Hold'em tournaments. I remember one night we actually had a book of different variations and we were playing Anaconda, which is you get dealt five cards and then you pass one to your left, then two to your right, then three to your left or some crazy variation like that. And then 2003, 2004, boom happened. And it really was just kind of validation for a lot of people that just gave some people the kick in the pants to go try and make it out on their own. I think that people that were more inspired by, say, a movie or something like that tend to be, they tend to be more cerebral about the game. <laughs> and I think that, I think the other is, yeah, it there's this opportunity out there to necessarily uh, get wealthy, but I don't know if they understand they probably do now, all these years later, but when it was first happening, I don't think they understood all the work that goes into being a successful poker player. Right. I think there's two different types of motivation. When you have a group of fans who watch Rounders, the story is just motivating and people connect to stories. When you have a hero like Chris Moneymaker win, it's more about showing that He's like kicked down the door, showing that it's actually possible, that it's not just something in a movie. So the movie is what gives people a character to kind of connect with because you you get in depth to their personal lives. Like we didn't know a lot of Moneymaker's personal background. We just knew that a regular Joe could win. So I think it's two different types of motivation, but I think they're both perfectly valid for sure. The next thing I want to bring up. I was more excited by the somewhat contradictory nature of poker. It was a game for lowlifes in secret undergrounds. But everyone said it was about outsmarting your opponent. To me, like, it's very interesting because we've spent, since the moneymaker boom, we've spent this whole time trying to legitimize poker. It's, it's not for lowlifes. It's for everybody. And <laughs> so, so that part kind of hits me in the gut, but I know what you mean. In some places, it's still like that. There's still some places where the only place you're playing is underground. It's still seedy. It's not perfectly clean. It is contradictory in nature. And, you know, so I want you to speak on that right there, because I, I think that you'll have some interesting, more interesting stuff to add to that. <laughs> right. So do you remember the scene in Rounders? Just yeah. to go back to the, the movie example where Matt goes to talk to the grinder guy and he he mentions that like, you got to play it safe and it's a real grind out there basically saying you know the people who play professionally we know what we're doing but don't take unnecessary chances that guy to me was a spy 
because he's knows what he's doing and he's got all this intention. But when he goes to these games, he's not sitting down. Hey, everyone, I'm going to beat you. So there's this dynamic in poker where you need to be very well studied. So I've, I've told this to students before. To be successful at poker requires so much hard work that you can absolutely make more money doing something else. So it requires that you want to do it. And it's not, hey, I can make money at this. So what was always interesting to me was these characters in the movies were like outsmarting their opponents. They're super smart dudes. But then they voluntarily went to go play in some guy's basement where the door is falling off the hinge. And this guy's he's pretending to be part of this group of I don't mean to say low lifes. I just wrote it in the thing because there's there's a song that I listened to literally called Low Lifes by the Ambassadors and whatever makes it reminds me of some of those scenes. It's these people that are kind of in the yeah the seedy underbelly of a, a lot of different cities, right? And so they're voluntarily doing it. They're like they're like outlaws, you know. They're voluntarily going into the outlaw scenario. The guys who played out in the in the Wild West. It's very much like. Doyle had to do in the beginning, right? It, it was a CD underground back then. There's truth to what you're saying there. <laughs> there really is. Yeah, and I mean, there's. it's not like, okay, so of course some games are dangerous, but that's the whole thing too. It's like there's excitement in that. There's a, There was excitement in the thing that's not stable. That's a part of it too. The stability can be boring. So it's exciting to get involved in something like that where you don't know what's going to happen next. So what else can we hit on Jordan here? Um, you played poker while you were in the military. You were going through school. Well, actually, let's talk about that. You're a very smart person, or at least your education would imply so. Um, you choose to play poker for a living, so I don't know how smart you are, but your education would imply that you are. You have a dual major, emphasis on neuro neurological sensation and perception. How does that play into playing poker? Right, so I've been playing poker for 10 plus years. Uh, and I had just mentioned that, you know, what was exciting about it was the fact that, you know, you could go out on your own and, and make your own way. But I guess I lacked the confidence actually to go do it. But I also, I had these experiences that I, I wanted to have. Uh, my grandfather, my father, both in the army, like I had known from a young age that I wanted to do that. One of the better routes I thought was to go through ROTC. So then I could secure an education, right? So if I'm going to get an education, I might as well learn something that I thought was interesting. So the school that I went to offered a dual degree in computer science and psychology. It was really a, a prereq for uh, continuing your education in like artificial intelligence. I focused specifically on sensation and perception, which is how your brain perceives the world, which really is just stimulus hitting your nervous system, right? So not so much coding the next like humanoid sentient or artificial being or whatever, but, but more just like how computers and, and language processing works and stuff like that. Uh, but I knew I was going into the army. So it's interesting. Like I got this degree for these jobs that pay really well. And then all my friends went to go work for like Microsoft and Google. And I was like, yeah, all right, see you later. I'm going to go shoot guns. And I mean, I was, I was playing poker in the background the whole time. And I was basically like half-assing it, which wasn't great, but it, it, I could never get away from it. Uh, I served in Georgia and Savannah, and there's no legal poker down there. There used to be these, like, the offshore boats. 
But when I was down there, they weren't running. But I still managed to find a home game that I went to. And I was just over an hour away from Jacksonville. And they had just opened Best Bet. So I constantly was going and playing. Either while I was in school, I was pulling all-nighters studying. Or I was pulling all-nighters playing till like 3 a.m. on full tilt. And I was, I was playing like the most basic way, but I was winning a little bit because back then that's like, that's all you had to do. And then in the army, it's the same thing. It's like, I was either out from Monday through Friday, like out in the field all day, every day, or it might be a, a trip Friday night with my roommate. We would go down to Jacksonville and play a tournament or play cash games for a while and then come back up and, and get lunch back in Georgia or something. Out of all that, the thing that stood out to me was when you say that you lack the confidence in poker. And it's funny to hear that from you because I know you spent time as a smoke jumper and that takes a lot of confidence to jump out of a plane into a flyer. (laughs) I knew that you had been an officer in the Army and that takes a lot of confidence. So I don't ever picture you as a person lacking confidence in anything. I mean, just to clarify I didn't smoke jump. Those guys really do deserve like all the credit. So I don't want to pretend to have ever done that. But uh, so I worked, I worked the, the year of COVID in California, fighting wildfires with the Forest Service. But I say, I would say maybe that's not confidence so much as a lack of, that might not be um, confidence so much as just willing to to go out and push myself as hard as I could. It was more that I lacked the commitment to it. I didn't say right out the gate, hey, I, I want to play this game for a living because I knew because I knew there were other things that I, I wanted to do. Well, I'm, I'm sorry that I mistakenly said that you had been a smoke jumper. My, my bad. You've been all over the place. I know that you're in Michigan now, and you had mentioned that when you started to realize that poker could be legitimate, it was, you had gone back to New York after being in the Army? Yes. So my family had always was in construction. I used to help my grandfather and my uncles build houses. Uh, so when I left the Army, I ended up going back to New York. I was building houses with my uncle, and I was spending a lot of time in uh, coffee shops, reading books. I got involved with the home game that I used to play at. And then eventually I started working for that game. So I would alternate between waking up early and going to build some houses, then coming home and studying or waking up super late, going to the coffee shop, reading for like two to three hours. Then I'd go open the game and I'd, I'd watch players for seven, eight hours and I'd compare them against, you know, what I just read in the books. So I had been playing for on and off years and years, but it never actually clicked until after I had got my degree, after I had, you know, spent some time in the army and then had the time to really focus on that started to come together. What I used to do was I just like dive down these rabbit holes and and study something specific, but then I didn't know how to bring it all together. So it's difficult to see the forest for the trees when I finally took a step back and was able to look at all of the different topics combined, uh, I really started to realize like that's how you can approach the game. And that leads us into what do you feel you bring to the podcast? I think what I bring to the podcast is exactly that is 
I have a, a pretty good understanding of strategic approach to the game, which I think is different than theoretical. So I think you have a, a really good understanding of theory, Dell. I mean, you've mentioned it on a lot of different episodes. You've, you've talked about a lot of different theoretical topics. And I think the two are a little bit different. I would say strategic approach is application of the theory. And what I think I currently specialize in as a, a coach is being able to help other players step back and see that forest and be able to identify how their own individual approach might work. So I think I, I bring a different viewpoint in that sense. Yeah, I would say this about the difference there. I think it's important to say for our listeners, without application of a strategy, theory makes zero dollars. And I think that's what you're saying. I think that's one of the things that you're definitely going to bring to the podcast is that the application of strategic principles, you're very sound with your theory. It's You're more sound with your theory than I am. So being able to take that theory and put it into a sound strategy and apply it on the table, that's when you make money. You don't make money talking theory. I'm going to say my two cents for a couple minutes. I'm happy to have both of you here. I'm really excited. It's really weird. This is like, this is very odd for me because it's one of those situations where I, and I've mentioned it last week and I'm going to mention it again. I, I'm, I'm a little sad and I'm excited at the same time. I, very sad that BJ is not going to be my co-host anymore, or at least not very often. He's left the door open to coming back once in a while. But I'm very excited that you two are going to be my co-host. I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to learning from you two. And I know that the listeners are going to learn from you too. And I think that's important that this, there are some things that are going to change about this podcast moving forward. We're going to have more of a structured format. Jordan and I were talking the other night. I'm a little ADHD and I tend to bounce all over the place. And we're going to be a little more structured. You know, we're going to have the first week of the month be strategy. The second week will be to do with cultural parts of the game. You know, we'll have a theory week. And then we're going to have a free roll week where it could be any of those, but you know, or it could be a guest. You know, And I think that having that structure is going to be better for the listeners. Those that want to listen to the strategy can. Those that are more interested in the cultural side of poker can listen to those weeks. Those that want to listen to both can listen to everything. The other things that are going to change is that you two are professional poker players. I'm a professional wannabe, and BJ never had any desire. So there's a change there in the dynamics, right? You know, I want to be a professional poker player and just can't seem to get over the hump. And maybe, maybe this dynamic is that little bit of extra help I need. Maybe the problem is me. Uh, go figure. Maybe I'm just not that good. But anyways, <laughs> we're going to have a lot of fun with it. It's going to change a little bit. But the basic premise is still going to be, this is a podcast for students of the game. It's still going to be a podcast for students of the game. We're here for help the listeners make money. We're here to help learn to make money ourselves. I think that I think the three of us will make all of us a little bit better. So do you guys have any questions for each other? No, I always, it's funny when I read Jordan's uh, bio, like some ways, I mean, he's a, he's a lot younger than I am and obviously he's male and female, but we have a lot of things in common. I mean, I studied psychology as well. After I finished 
Well, a couple of years after I was building log houses, I mean, like, I think we have a lot of like similarities. It's spooky. Like, <laughs> like when he's talking about building houses, I'm like, yeah, check. When he studies, I got, yeah, check. Like we, uh, you know, I think we think about the game in a very different way, but we're very alike in many ways as well. It's, it's fascinating to me more so than a lot of just random poker players that I run into, which is interesting. Did you have something you wanted to say, Jordan? Uh, so I just, I actually wanted to second what you had mentioned and say that I have a massive amount of respect for Christine. Uh, when I first met her uh, to find out that she had, you know, worked for a company for 20 years and had been given the option to like, buy it out and own it. And she was like, nah, I'm, I'm going to do my own thing a different way. I mean, we, we have actually known each other for a while. But she uh, actually has been playing professionally longer than I have by the definition of the word being professional play being your primary financial income. As I mentioned before, it may be fear, it may have been something else, but I've always been playing poker and doing something else. In 2019, like I did, I left my job, but then I did bounce around to some other things to you know, meet some financial goals because the COVID year was a mess. Christine had the courage to like stick it through and fully commit to that. I had picked up some other things, but uh, even as you know, a, a ranger qualified army officer, like, the amount of work that it takes to go put together a training plan, you know, and really dedicate to that—that's the amount of dedication that Christine had to executing on the poker table. And you know, that is truly what a like consummate professional is. So, I think she brings a, a lot more than you know people might initially think. I appreciate your words. Thank you, Jordan. I want to talk about all the things that we have in common. I mean, this is really very interesting. I mean, you guys are, you know, both went to college. I dropped out of high school. You know, we have that in common. And uh, <laughs> you guys studied psychology. I married somebody who is a clinical therapist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan was a really good soldier. I was a piss poor soldier. We've got a lot in common. <laughs> no, I, I all, all the joking aside, um, it, yeah, I think that I, I don't have much more to say other than I'm excited. And I could keep repeating it, and that's not, not good uh, podcasting, but I'm really looking forward to the dynamic here. It's not always going to be one or the other of you. Sometimes I'm going to work it in so that I get to work with both of you. Um, there might be times when I might want a week off and you guys get to work together. I think that I, there's just so much that can happen over the next year that is really good. And I'm looking forward to all of it. So thank you guys for being here. You guys have anything more to add? No, thank you for having me, though. It was fun. <laughs> Jordan? No, I'm I'm excited. Right. Yep, yeah, me too. Well, thank you guys for being here. It's been awesome. And uh, next week, we'll, we'll be doing this with new co-hosts and new topics. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. This has been The Blind Stealing the Blinds, a weekly poker podcast for students of the game by students of the game. When you're not stacking your chips, please feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. Recommend the show to your favorite donkey, fish, or whale. And head over to tbstv.com support to show the crew some love. Until next week, stick to the plan and may all your variants be positive.